Hey, what's up, folks? This is Tony Brewer. You're listening to Cogitations, or watching as the case may be, I guess I should say. Cogitations is the podcast where we think about things, we contemplate them, we turn them over in our minds, and then we discuss them. Daniel chapter 7, verse 28, Daniel writes, Hitherto is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my cogitations much troubled me, my countenance changed in me, but I kept the matter in my heart, and we're not keeping the matter in our heart, we're talking about it. Today, we're going to talk about being dead to sin. We've had, a, I guess, an impromptu series about Christian living. We've talked about God's second law of pardon. We've talked about the assurance of hope and faith and salvation. The assurance of salvation we have in our faith in Jesus Christ, I guess I should say. And hopefully we've had some encouragement and edification. And hopefully if you have gone around, I'm going to see how many times I can say hopefully. If you have gone around in the past with your shoulders slumped, your chest sunk in, your head down, and you've been pessimistic about your salvation, I want you to have listened to these series of podcasts, and I want you to go around bold in Christ. We have to be bold in Christ. We get to be bold in Christ. And you, as a Christian, never, ever, not any time, any more, not once ever, do you have to be referred to as a sinner ever again. Please do not cheapen and negate the sacrifice that was freely given on your behalf, on my behalf, and say, well, I'm just an old sinner. No, you're not. If you're a sinner, you need to repent and turn to God and bring forth fruit meat for repentance. And once you do that, you'll never have to be referred to as a sinner again. Christians must get out of the sin business. Good to see you. Um, hello, everyone. And uh, hello refers to LOL refers to the counter comment. I got you. Uh, good to see everybody uh, equipping the expositors ministry as John Exum. Uh, good to see you. Paula Wussies, good to, good to see you. That's it. We're saints. We're priests. We're a peculiar people. What You know, Rusty, I'm so glad you made that comment because it, listen, I may have to flesh this out and I may have to, it may not be perfect, but let me, let me, let me take a brief excursus to first Peter chapter two, verse nine. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that ye should sow forth or show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I'm married to a woman who was single before I, before I married her. Why would I ever refer to her as a single woman? Like, even if I make her very, very mad and she's needs some space and she don't want to talk to me for a few hours, which in the 23 years of our marriage has never, ever happened. Not once. Y'all believe that? Anyway, I would still know, I would still not refer to her as a single woman. She wouldn't refer to me as a single man. 
we are married. We are peculiar to one another. And that peculiarity doesn't change. Even if one of us does a boneheaded move and gets miffed at each other and we separate in the same house for a time. Now, I may need to, I may need to fill in the cracks with, with, on that illustration, but I think there's something there. All right, that's right. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. And God bless you, Abram. I've said that on Facebook, saints, not sinners, and I got pushback for it. I, John, I think it's because people are pessimistic about their salvation, and it makes them uncomfortable when you're not. Jason Goldtrap's good to see you. Good to see you. Man, we got folks coming in. It's amazing. All right. Now, uh, incidentally, there's 21 of you here. I would love for you, I would love for every one of you to go to YouTube and subscribe to the Christianity Streams or Christianity Now Streams YouTube channel. Uh, that being said, uh, let's, let's get a word from our sponsor. Let me go to the, uh, to the captions here, and I want to put up Lindsay Faye Dotson's comment or uh, contact information. Are you part of a church congregation seeking effective ways to spread the word about your event? Well, look no further. Lindsay Dotson specializes in designing modern advertisements for churches. Whether it's flyers, postcards, or social media graphics, Lindsay has got you covered. Reach out through a private message on Facebook or send an email to lindsayfaydotson at gmail.com for more details. Don't miss this opportunity to make your message resonate far and wide. Contact Lindsay Faye Dotson today. All right. Um, so contact Lindsay Faye Dotson. And uh, don't forget uh, to support Lindsay Faye Dotson in this is to support us. And if you want to support us, but you ain't got anything going on at your congregation or whatever, and you don't need to buy anything from Lindsay, you can shoot us some uh, a tip at www.nearchurchesgmail.com, or you can buy me a coffee at www.buymeacoffee.com forward slash Christianity Now. But the absolute best way to support us is on Substack. Go to Substack, type in Christianity Now, subscribe for free, look at the content, and if you like what we do, consider subscribing for $50 a year or subscribe uh, for $5 a month. Folks, that's all I'm going to talk about that. We're going to go back to the comments. It is good to see everybody. Did YouTube get its name from watching or from the saying of watching the tube television? I believe it did. Yes. In fact, it's it's the tube, it's television tube, but it's YouTube. In other words, it's videos that you uploaded. Good morning, Terry Crooks. And uh, let's get started with this, folks. Listen, as I, as I did in the other podcast, I've got a little bit of an outline here. Uh, Romans chapter 6, verses 1 to 2, dead to sin, alive to Christ. Verses 3 to 4, baptism into Christ's death and resurrection. Verses 5 through 7, united with Christ in his death and resurrection. All right, so we in, in 3 and 4, we're baptized into Christ, and we are united with him in his death and resurrection. But verses 8 through 11, well, really 8 through 14, the, the end of the chapter, 
is the focus of our podcast today. So we're going to rush through the first part very, very much. I'm talking to a group of people. I think that every one of you here probably agrees that you must be baptized in order to be in Christ. And the only salvation that there is, is in Christ. So I don't understand why we argue about baptism in Christendom. You got to do it. I mean, you can even go to um, these new, well, they're not new. They've been out a few years, but I see on my timeline, people asking biblical questions to um, artificial intelligence uh, programs. And if you ask a question about baptism, the artificial intelligence that I've messed with, it just assumes that baptism is necessary for salvation. In other words, you're not going to be a Christian unless you're baptized into Christ. That's the, the artificial intelligence draws no other conclusion than that, which I think that's kind of funny, and I think it's telling. It's not funny at all, is it? It's telling, though. It, it, it means something. Anyway, um, please don't get your theology from artificial intelligence, though. Remember, intelligence is not wisdom. Just because you've got a really good uh, predictive text program doesn't mean you have trained that program to understand the Bible. Some say that the baptism in Romans 6 is Holy Spirit baptism. My response to that is, when did the Holy Spirit die on the cross? They have the wrong person on the God, in the, of the Godhead. You've got that right. Yeah, this is, yeah, the, the, the context of the chapter gives you what kind of baptism it is. You cannot read Holy Spirit baptism into Romans chapter 6. But that's not the that's not the podcast for today. We want to talk about Christians need to get out of the sin business. We're going to talk about being dead to sin. So let's go to Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Megonete. And, and, and I'm not pronouncing that right, but the King James says, God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Folks. Paul begins this section of Scripture by addressing a potential misunderstanding in his teaching about grace. He asked rhetorically if believers should continue in sin so as to receive more grace. His emphatic response, God forbid, sets a tone, or the tone, I guess, for the chapter, emphasizing the incongruity of living in sin for those who have died in Christ. Yeah, I'm got, I got you, John. Yeah, preacher rant there. You got that right. I'm with you. You ain't got to apologize for that. Now, here's the deal. Meganete, God forbid. The word, the Greek word for God, divinity, the, theos, is not in this text. From my study, from my understanding, so emphatic is this Greek term that there was not an equivalent English term that conveyed the proper nuance of repulsion and disgust. Like, God forbid, and, and those of you that are listening to this, you didn't see me, but I actually recoiled from the mic. I mean, it's like, God forbid. We cannot continue in sin so that grace may abound. It is nuts. It is hyper foolish to think that a Christian is allowed to continue in sin once they are dead to sin. Think about that. Now, again, I told you we're going to go through this first section pretty quickly and get to the last section, which is our focal point, 
for this series. So verses three and four, baptism into Christ's death and resurrection. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. This term, let me go to my trusty, rusty Esau and make sure I'm getting this Greek term right. Uh, we're going to go to Romans. I should have queued this up. You think that'd been prudent? I think it would have. All right. Know ye not. All right. It is. Hold on. Whoops. So he's he is speaking to them as the the word uh it well it's it's a root word for gnosko. In other words, they should have learned by now. And so you you are not ignorant is the idea. In other words, are you do, do you not understand that so many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death, all right? Therefore, and this this is the beauty, therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. Baptism, in a sense, now if you clip this, and you take it away from this podcast, and you say that this is what I believe exactly like the denominations teach, hell is going to be hot for you. There is a very real sense in which your baptism is an outward show of an inward change. You cannot see salvation. You cannot see the blood washing your sins away. You cannot see someone standing in that flow that cleanses them. But what can you see? What is the physical manifestation of the metaphysical phenomenon of salvation? It's baptism. Whoops. It's a burial. It's a resurrection. And that implies a death. Do you understand what death is? Death correlates with repentance. When you repent, when you change your mind about the sin that you are in, the sins that you've committed, you may not be cognizant or intellectually aware of every sin you've ever committed, but the idea is you have changed your mind about sin in its entirety. And you're going to turn to God. That's that watery grave of baptism. And when you come up, you're going to walk in newness of life. And the main principle of walking in newness of life is bringing forth fruit, meat for repentance. That's Acts chapter 26, verse 20. Sheila Cole says, to believe a Christian, I can't English, hold on. To believe a Christian can remain living in sin is following the false doctrine of once saved, always saved. I agree with you. Now, to be clear, I do not believe that baptism is an outward show of an inward change as in God has changed your heart and has given you a regenerated heart and you're saved and then you're baptized. But I'm saying there has to be a metaphysical change that takes place in your mind 
that is before the physical act of baptism. And then during that physical act of baptism is when God operates. And if you don't think it's God operating, go read Colossians 2, verse 12. In fact, uh, there's 23 of you. One of you may copy and paste for me Colossians 2, 12 into the chat. Baptism is the operation of God. Okay? So that's what I mean when I say an outward show of an inward change. I'm not talking about the denominations. I'm talking about there has to be a metaphysical change. You have to die. You have to repent. You have to put that old man of sin to death. Then we bury dead bodies. But but don't worry. You're not going to stay down for long. You're going to raise up. You see, when you when you bury somebody in a watery grave of baptism, if you don't bring them back up, it's not a baptism. It turns into something else, and different officials from a God-ordained institution are called, namely the police. So, in whom you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, the removal of the, the removal of the body of the flesh and the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were raised up with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. Who's doing the working? It's God, the working of God. God's working. That's a participle phrase in English. Well, it's a participle phrase in Greek, too. Anyhow. Um, let's go to verses three and four again. The symbolism of baptism is central here. Believers are baptized into Christ's death. Now, what I mean by believers is people who believe. You cannot be baptized unless you believe. Remember Mark 16, 16. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. That is not a juxtaposition there. That is not a negative inference fallacy. There are two separate sets of instructions. I'm instructed on how to be how to be saved, and I'm instructed on how to be damned. And what I should take away from Mark 16, 16 is it's easier to be damned. I have to do less in order to be damned than I do to be saved. In order to be saved, I gotta be, I gotta believe and be baptized. In order to be damned, all I have to do is disbelieve. Uh John Exman, that's how I use the term believers most of the time. Yes. And the reason I make that distinction, brethren, is the word believers is semantically overloaded. Even Charles Spurgeon himself, the prince of preachers of the Baptist church, he talks about baptism, and he has a very interesting uh, sermon segment that's, that's clipped out and shared by some of my brethren, and they think Charles Spurgeon believed that baptism was necessary for salvation. No. Charles Spurgeon says this point of believer's baptism, this point of contention around believer's baptism is probably going to be the line of demarcation that sends a whole lot of otherwise faithful people to hell. That's not his exact words, but that's effectually what he said, or effectively what he said. And he talked about how if you deny baptism and the necessity of baptism to be faithful, then you're denying Christ. However, He's called it believer's baptism. What he means by believer's baptism is you're saved, and then because of your salvation, you're baptized. Charles Spurgeon has never believed the simple truth of what the apostles taught about baptism in the first century. So don't think Charles Spurgeon is your, is your fellow, okay? 
Um, Charles Spurgeon, if he were if he were to walk in on a Wednesday night and we were studying the book of Psalms, I would tell him to sit right down. He needed to be taught by me. I don't care how beautiful his commentary on Psalms is. He missed Ned in the first reader. I don't trust him on anything. All right. So we've got baptism into Christ, death, and resurrection. That's a foregone conclusion. And incidentally, the reason why we know it's not Holy Spirit baptism is because, as John Exum said, the Holy Spirit is not the one who died. We, we follow the pattern of Jesus. And that physical expression of a metaphysical phenomenon is being lowered in the watery grave of baptism and coming up. And the key is to walk in newness of life. Let's go to verse 5 and read 5, 6, and 7. For if, and, and again, this, this is the explanation, if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, that's how you know this isn't Holy Spirit baptism, folks. Let me read it. No commentary. Let me just read it. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also in the likeness of his resurrection, or we shall also be, rather, in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, and that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Folks, this is why I say, if you've been baptized into Christ, if you've obeyed the gospel the way the gospel is supposed to be obeyed, you are no longer a sinner and you never have to be referred to as a sinner again. Paul elaborates on the believer's union with Christ. This union means not only dying to sin, but also being freed from its power. The old self is crucified with Christ, breaking the bondage of sin. Did you? <laughs> boy. If the idea is when you die, you're no longer subject to the law under which you lived. Do you, know, do you know what law you were subject to while you lived? The law of sin and death. Do you know what it takes in order to be free from that law? You've got to be under another law, and the only way you can be under another law is to die. Paul is going to make that point in Romans chapter 7. I think about Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That, that beautiful faith, that, that definite article, the faith, that's the gospel system. That's not my personal faith. That's not Jesus' personal faith. That's the gospel system. Folks, the old self is crucified with Christ, breaking the bondage of sin and alleviating the responsibility, the culpability of the law of sin and of us towards the law of sin and death. Now, now we get into verse 8. So if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed, John 8, 
36. Let's go to John, or let's go to John. Let's go to Romans. Now we're going to read Romans 8 through 11. I'm going to try to read this with no commentary, but it's hard. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death hath no dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. You have to reckon. Now, reckon isn't just a really neat redneck word. Reckon is a word. It's how you think, how you consider. How do you reckon yourself after after your life in Christ begins? As you're walking in the light as he is in the light, do you reckon yourself to be a sinner? Then you've got a problem. Do you reckon yourself to be a saint? who sometimes might slip, trip, and fall, but never leaves the blood because you're continually keeping your eye on the prize and pressing toward the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, then there is therefore now no condemnation for those of you who walk who walk not according to the flesh, but after the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. You can't read this and not be empowered. You can't understand it and not be bold. You can't Assimilate it into your psyche and not walk around with a godly pride for how much God the Father has loved you and how much Jesus Christ has given you through his sacrifice. Don't cheapen it. Don't make it of none effect. Don't be the one-talent man that hides this wonderful, valuable treasure that was given to you through the blood, sweat, and tears, literally, of someone else. Even so, consider yourselves dead to sin. Consider it. Reckon yourselves this way. All right? Life in Christ is not merely a future hope, but a present reality. Believers are to consider themselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. This involves a conscious, daily decision to live under God's lordship. In other words, walk in the light. Do not consider yourself a sinner. And in so doing, you will have to get out of the sin business. But now I know what you might be thinking. Preacher, that's really easy to say. Oh man, you've got a lot of emotion in your voice. You're working me up. I might even be getting chill bumps. I might even be getting misty-eyed thinking of the things that were done for me. But the problem is, I'm in the equation, and I know that I'll never be able to break the sin habit. What do I do? I'm glad you asked, because Paul is going to tell you. Let's read verses 12, 13, and 14. Sin shall not have dominion. All right? Let not, no, now here's where it comes. You are, you are to let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, 
but yield yourselves unto, uh, unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Now, notice it didn't say you are not under law. It says you are not under the law. What law? The law under consideration when Paul was writing, the law of Moses. The word grace is a metonym for the gospel system. Remember how Paul said, for I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, Galatians 2.20. And Jews said, I endeavored to write unto you about that you contend to uh, that you contend for the faith, which was once in the American Standard 1901, says, and for all delivered unto the saints. Folks, the faith. Peter says we are of like precious faith. We are under this system of faith. And the word grace here in Romans 6 is a metonym for this system. You're not under the law of Moses. You're under the system of faith. So you need to reckon yourselves dead to sin. And you're walking in a brand new way, in a brand new life. So now Paul gives us the first inkling of the very practical advice. Well, I guess that's not true. The first inkling of the very practical advice here is don't consider yourself a sinner. Consider yourself a saint. You need to consider yourself dead to sin. So that's number one. Number two, do not allow your hands to be the devil's tools. Don't lend your members as instruments of unrighteousness. Rather, lend them to righteousness. In other words, find some work to do. You know, if you're constantly sowing to the Spirit, it is impossible for you to sow to the flesh. I think about that Galatians chapter 6. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. He that soweth unto the flesh, unto his flesh, shall of the flesh reap corruption. He that soweth unto the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Paul lists ways to be found in Christ at Philippians 3, 9 through 11. Yes, he does, Terry. That's a, in fact, it's a good, that's a good companion passage of Scripture. It's almost like God wants to keep you once he's got you. You know what I mean? You know once saved always saves false doctrine. But once saved always saved is the doctrine that I have the most patience for. Folks, it's not once lost, always lost. It's not once saved, always saved. But by God in heaven, it's once saved, well, saved. And I ripped that completely off of another preacher. So anyway, uh, yeah, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. We are saved by the system of faith alone. No other system has been given whereby man can be saved. All right. Sin shall not have dominion over your mortal body. Um, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. So live like it. Live like it. Paul exhorts believers not to let sin reign in their mortal bodies. The grace of God empowers Christians to resist sin and to not obey its desires. Verse 14 
is pivotal. I'll read it again. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For ye are not under the law, but you're under grace. All right. So verses 15 to 19. This is interesting. So there's a juxtaposition here of a slave and an employee. We need to be slaves to righteousness. Verses 15 to 19. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? There's that word again. God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked you were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you, being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. Now the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. If you work for the devil, you will earn what is coming to you. But if you become a slave and submit your entire self to God, then you will be given a reward. Well, that's good stuff. You see, expanding on the theme of slavery, Paul contrasts being slaves to sin with being slaves to righteousness. This change, this change of masters brings a change in lifestyle, or it should, from impurity and lawlessness to holiness. And yeah, that's right, John. Romans 6.23 goes parallel with Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. That's it. That's it. All right. Remember, don't forget to support us so you can send us a tip through the tip jar. You can, uh, you know what? It's not in the show notes of how to support the podcast, I don't think, but it will be. And uh, you can also subscribe to uh, our YouTube channel, Christianity Now Streams. All right. Let's go through the, the rest of it. Verses 20 and 23. The wages of sin and the gift of God. Incidentally, actually, let's don't. Let's, let's just remain in this section for a minute because I want to talk about this idea of uh, salvation and I want to bring in briefly baptism just a little bit. If you are listening to this and you believe that, well, the only thing I've got to do to, to the only thing I have to do in order to be saved is I've got to believe. Well, there's a problem. Belief is obedience. You can go read that in John chapter 6. Um, we're commanded to believe. So if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, you've already, been, you've already obeyed. The problem is we have to know what, in what manner to obey. Implicitly, Paul gives it in Romans 6, 17 and 18. He says, but, so to the contrary, God be thanked, you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you, being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. Go read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 through 4, maybe 5. And Paul uses even the word delivered. Paul taught them that which was delivered to him. The, the same gospel message wherein they stand if they forget not. 
how that Jesus died on the cross, was buried three days, and was raised, and his resurrected body was witnessed by, and then he has a list of people uh, who witnessed the resurrected body of Christ. Folks, that's the, that's the doctrine. That's the form of doctrine. And it's in 16, it's, it's in Romans 6, rather, death, burial, and resurrection, buried with him. You've put the old man of sin to death, so there's the death. You've buried with him in baptism, that's the burial. And then you're raised again to walk in a new life. Folks, that's the new birth of John chapter 3. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whither it goeth and whence it cometh. So is, and whence it cometh, so is everyone who is born of the Spirit. You cannot see somebody's salvation, but what you can see is their death, burial, and resurrection, the outward show of that inward change. Again, I'm not saying that it's, 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 they're saved and they're baptized. I'm saying they have a metaphysical change of mind. They've repented and they've decided to follow Christ. Now, there's going to be an outward show of that. You have to obey from the heart. So you've got from the heart, that's the metaphysical change, that's, 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 that's with the proper attitude and understanding, and then you have the, the physical manifestation in this realm of existence, you have the outward show of that, the symbolism, the death, burial, and resurrection. Now you're baptized. So once you obey from the heart, it's at that point of obedience that you're made free from sin and you become a servant of righteousness. That's it. Hebrews 11, by faith, person X received Y. All right, good stuff. Faith is action you take based upon belief. And, and Sheila Cole, there is a balance. Obeying the gospel by being baptized into Christ, where if we remain faithful unto, we are saved. But Paul warns, take heed lest you fall into faithful faith. Unless you fall, rather. So faithfulness is mandatory. Yeah, walking in the light as he is in the light. That's it. That's what faithfulness is. Walking in the light as he is in the light. You'll have fellowship one with another. That's you and God. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth you from all sin. All right. Now we can go to the next section. The wages of sin versus the gift of God. The wages of sin versus the gift of God. Let's start reading in verse 20. Wait a second. Did I read verse 19? I'm going to read 19 anyway. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanliness and to iniquity, unto iniquity, even so now yield your servants as, uh, to righteousness, well, excuse me, yield your members, servants to righteousness, unto holiness. Listen, the practical application is busy yourself about the Lord's work. Walk in the light. Do. Uh, well, uh, John brought up Ephesians 2, uh, uh, 8 and 9, and I think verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. 
And I think of First John chapter 2, little children. These things write I unto you that you sin not. But if any man sin, he has an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, who is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. And hereby do we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Folks, do you want to make sure you're in fellowship with God? Keep his commandments. Find something to do. Lend your members as instruments of righteousness. If you have a problem with a particular sin, go to a fellow Christian who is of enough spiritual maturity to mentor you and say, hey, I struggle with a particular sin. I need help. What can I do to fill up my time so my hands are not idle so I don't lend them as instruments of unrighteousness so let me lend them to instruments of as instruments of righteousness folks you'll find something to do um you may find this surprising but uh i i, I write articles i do research i study the bible and i produce podcasts why because if i didn't i, I know i have a proclivity toward sin and and i know the things that i struggle with so I make sure that I don't have a whole lot of idle time outside of God's word. If I wasn't a gospel preacher, I'd go to hell. I couldn't be a quote-unquote regular Christian. I couldn't be one that goes in and sits on the pew because I've, I've, I've got to be more involved than that. In fact, uh, we, I, I'm, I'm sitting on a podcast episode that Todd Clippert is going to guest with me. and. Uh, it's about the size of a congregation and I've been, co I've been cogitating and I used to think that I had an aversion to large congregations. I do not. Although I thought I did, I have an aversion to being lost in the crowd because I know if I'm, if I'm lost in the crowd, then it is very much easier for me to lend my members as servants of, uh, or, or lend my members uh, to unrighteousness as opposed to holiness. All right. Yeah, he who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor performing with his own hands. That's an example of change. That's Ephesians 4. All right, let's get the last uh, few verses here. For when ye were servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. What fruit had you then in those things whereof you are now ashamed? Well, folks, the answer to that is death. For the end of those things is death. The only thing that your unrighteous actions and your unrighteous living could produce is sin. So, well, think about it. That's, that's James chapter 1. Let no man save when he is tempted. I am tempted of God because God cannot be tempted of, with sin, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And lust, when it is when it conceives, brings forth sin. Sin, when it's finished, brings forth death. That's a that's a copulative relationship, and the progeny of which is death. And and sadly, in the Greek language, man, I don't want to trigger anybody, but I, I'm I'm willing to risk it. Um, the 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 word picture painted here is in stark contrast to a beautiful 
uh, vibrant little pudgy baby that's alive and, and rooting around for the mama's breast for sustenance, you're looking at a cold, lifeless, stillborn baby. And I pray that I didn't trigger too much grief for any of you ladies out there who have gone through that. And anyway, that's all I'm going to say about that. Um, and it goes all the way back to Genesis chapter four, where God looks at uh, Cain and says, "Why art thou? Why art thou wroth? And why is your countenance fallen? If thou doest well, will it not be accepted of thee? And if thou doest not well, then sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be its desire." Folks, it's another time where there's a copulative relationship. Uh, with an individual in sin, the progeny of which is death and chaos. So for when ye were servants of sin, you were free from the from righteousness. What fruit had ye in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? Death, chaos, suffering. For the end of those things is death. But to the contrary, verse 22, now, being made free from sin and become servants of to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness, the end, everlasting life. Folks, if you do well, it will be accepted of thee. God is not the author of confusion, but of peace as in all the churches. Let me explain. Even if you are under a system that is rigged and evil and flawed and dead set against you, if you live according to holiness, you will have a better existence in that system than if you did not live towards holiness. Folks, you will have a much less chaotic life that ends in a trage- in tragedy than if you would just follow God or if you would just follow God. And the explanation, the crux of the matter, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Folks, as you're walking your walk of faith, as you're traveling to your eternal destination, as you're traveling on to eternity, you do not ever have to be called a sinner. If you want to continue to make sure you're walking in the light, lend your members as instruments of righteousness. Do those things that Jesus asked of you in his holy word. Just because we talk about assurance of salvation, just, talk, just because we talk about how there's therefore now no condemnation, to those who are in Christ Jesus. That doesn't mean you can do anything you want to do and just be like, oh, well, God's going to help take care of me. God's grace has got me covered. That's continuing to live in sin so that grace may abound. You got to get out of the sin business. You got to figure out where the difference is between your actions and God's word lie. And you've got to work on those areas and you've got to lend your members as instruments of righteousness. So, if you find yourself with downtime during the day, maybe you don't may, maybe you don't do things that um that reward those sin sensors in your brain as it were. But you figure you you reroute neural pathways. You instead of going off and watching pornography, 
you sit down and you and you think about a topic to study in the Bible and you sit down at your desk where everybody can see you, where you're not tempted to do things that are only done behind closed doors. There are many different practical ways that we might think of to lend your members as servants or instruments of righteousness as opposed to lend them to instruments of, of wickedness. And again, one practical application or way to think about this, I want to go back to the book of Romans and go to the very end of Romans chapter 13. Listen to this. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. If you do have a problem with alcohol, let's say, stay out of the bars, stay out of places that serve alcohol, quit hanging around friends that drink. Instead, take the time that you would do that and otherwise, uh, uh, and, and the, take the time that you would do that and do other things. Call the elders and be like, hey, I'm going to be off work Friday and I'm going to be at home by myself. Uh, is there anything that needs doing at the church building? Can we meet, you know, if, let's say, you know, your elders, one of the one you call is retired. Hey, can we meet in town and maybe sit at the coffee shop and just talk and do some study? Changing who you hang out with is big. Hey, hey, Alabama. It sure is. Hey, hey. And uh, it's almost like Paul writes, evil company corrupts good morals. In fact, even the heathen understand, you know, if you're a convicted felon, when you get out of prison, you know what you cannot do? You cannot go talk to anybody you was, you served time with once they got out. You cannot hang around other convicted felons. Did you know that? I didn't know that until a few years ago. I thought it was very interesting that even the heathen understands that principle of evil company corrupts good morals. Folks, I think we're done. There's some, well, we're not done. We're, I think we're almost done. Uh, there are some theological impl implications uh, from Romans chapter 6. Now, I'm going to say, I've got to figure out another word besides sanctification. Sanctification is semantically overloaded. There is a sense that when you are baptized into Christ and you're raised again to walk in newness of life, that you are 100% sanctified. You are as holy and as sanctified as you ever can be. Another way of saying sanctified is you are, you are made a saint. I'm using the term here the way the world uses it. I've had to train myself. I, I do a lot of study and a lot of work to try to rip from my vocabulary because I'm writing so many articles and I want to appeal to the larger world of Christendom. I try to, I try to strip from my vocabulary and my style of writing the very esoteric language of the quote-unquote Church of Christ. So I'm saying sanctification is one of the theological implication, the theological implications of Romans 6. The, this chapter, Romans chapter 6, emphasizes sanctification as an ongoing process of being made holy, evident in a believer's life. So in other words, you're working Really and truly, you're working to transform yourself into the image of Christ. I've got to come up with another word that's not sanctification, okay? Maybe you can help me in the chat. All right, so one, sanctification. Two, union with Christ. 
The believer's identity and lifestyle are transformed. Notice their identity as well as their lifestyle are transformed by their union with Christ in his death and resurrection. Grace and obligation. Grace is not a license for immorality. It empowers, rather, righteous living. Christian ethics. The new life in Christ involves ethical and moral changes reflecting God's holiness. Romans 6 offers profound insight into the Christian experience from death to life, from slavery to sin to slavery to righteousness, all through union with Christ. It lays the foundation for understanding how justification by faith translates into practical holy living. As as Sheila Cole mentioned several minutes ago, you have to continue in faithfulness. You have to walk in the light as he is in the light. We can talk about the grace and mercy so much and how much freedom we have in Christ, how much liberty, and how God loves us and sets us up for success. But unless we're real with God's standard, then we'll never live with him in eternity because we will live a life of continuing in sin so that grace may abound. God forbid we shouldn't do that. We should simply get out of the sin business and we should understand Romans chapter 6 and the insights that it offers. Folks, now I am done. I hope I have said something here that has informed you and helped you and edified you along your journey to eternity. The last three or four podcasts have all been focused on the same theme. Uh, it really seems like these themes resonate with people. Um, not sure what words you're looking for, but at baptism, we are cleansed and in an acceptable relationship with God. Absolutely. Uh, like I said, sanctification is a 100%. It, it happens instantly at baptism. So does holiness. You're holy and you're sanctified. But in English, in Christendom, the word sanctification is conceptualized as a process. And I think what people mean by it is they, they look at the standard of Jesus and they look at their lives and they say, well, there's a difference. So the more I mature in my Christian faith, the more I look like Jesus. I think that's what they mean by sanctification. I need another word that conveys that. I'll think of one. But anyway, I really appreciate every one of you. Thank you so much for the good. Uh, feedback. Thank you so much for the comments. Remember, share the podcast, like, subscribe, and share on Christianity Now. Streams, Rumble, Facebook, Substack is the best way to support us monetarily, $5 a month. Uh, also, you can send us money to PayPal at www.nearchurches at gmail.com or um, purchase uh, advertisement or advertisement flyers and stuff from Lindsay Faye Dotson, lindsayfaydotson at gmail.com. God bless every one of you. Subscribe to the podcast on Cogitations, Apple Podcast, Spotify, and TuneIn Radio. This has been Tony Brewer with Cogitations, and we'll catch you on the flip side.